Well, I've been shaped by the church. Uh, I think last week we had, I think it was last week, maybe it was the week before we had you raise your hand if you've always been part of a church. I was one of those that raised my hands. I've always been in the church from, from the beginning of, of my life. Um, I, I've been part of a church. And, I, and I've been shaped by the church. And, and so if you don't like me, blame the church because uh, the church has shaped me. And I, I can think of all the churches as I've grown up, of, of, of Rushville Church of the Nazarene and, and then Gortner Memorial Church of the Nazarene. Uh, and, and I can think about the people. It wasn't just the church, it was the people. And I, I can think of Debbie Cooper, who was my Sunday school teacher at Rushville Church of the Nazarene, and, 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 and what the influence she had on, on my life. I, I think of Leroy Banks, and I've talked about Leroy, and Henry Ott, and Max Kinder, and, and uh, uh, Rose, Rosie McKinney, who was my third grade teacher and third grade Sunday school teacher. And I think of the pastors that I've had that, as a child. And I think of St. Paul's Church of the Nazarene in Kansas City. And uh, Brother Borgeson was the name of the pastor there because his first name must have been Brother. I, you, know, I, you know, so Brother Borgeson, Pastor Borgeson, the influence he had on me. And then Alan Thompson was my youth pastor, and, and I still hear from Alan every once in a while. Most of these people are gone now, but uh, Alan I still hear from, and, and it, these people have shaped my life. As at Vandalia when I was in law school, and, and my brother was the pastor there, and, and Virgil was such an influence on me as a brother and as a pastor. And then Ruth Stevens. I don't see Art and Karen here. I don't know if they remember Ruth Stevens. Ruth Stevens was a Sunday school teacher that, that as I went through the ups and downs of life, as I had struggles like all of us have struggles, Ruth was there for me. And I, I think Ruth's, Ruth's gone too. It's sad. You can get melancholy when you start thinking about the people that have invested in you as they're, and they're gone. And then, then I think of Tri-County. Tri-County was such an influential place for me. And it wasn't the place, it was the people. Say that with me. It wasn't the place, it was the people, right? Right? And you know, this place is influential in your life, not because of the location in the building, not, not, not because of the structure, but because of the people that are here. Uh, the, the people have influenced us and influenced our lives. I think of Pastor Dan and Darlene and, and uh, you know, the influence that they've had on my life, the positive influence they've had on my life, the, 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 their, their ability to have vision, their care for people, their care for people outside their church, the, the seriousness to which they took their ministry and their investment in Terry and I. I think of Ron Lewis as a Sunday school teacher and a friend. And, and, and Josh's uncle, Bob, uh, Bob Huff, was such an influence in my life. My first Sunday school teacher at, at Tri-County. As a matter of fact, when, when we, I saw Bob at the Nazarene National Softball Tournament, and, and anytime I see Bob, he always says this, I can remember the first time you walked into my Sunday school class. And these people have had a huge influence in my life. You know, I, I appreciate the Nazarene Church. I appreciate the influence of the Nazarene Church. I, I am a Nazarene of Nazarenes. I, I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when your church is only 100 years old or so, and you're third generation on both sides, and your kids are fourth generation, that means you've been around since pretty much the beginning in the Nazarene Church. And I've known no other church than this church. The Nazarene Church. I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's just the reality of who I am. That in, in my lifetime, I can count on maybe two hands at this point in my life 
the times I've even been in another church. So I love the Church of the Nazarene, and I love what we stand for, and I love these people that have gathered around me because I've been discipled by people. You have been discipled by people. Not a church, but people in a church. You've not been discipled in a building, but you've been discipled by pastors and Sunday school teachers and friends. And these people that I mention, they taught me that there was something more. Anybody ever had people like that? That when you talked with them, even though they accepted me just as I was, you know, they didn't judge me, they didn't put me down, but there was this constant pull in their life for more. Anybody experience that? <laughs> Somebody at least smile or something. Uh, this ideal that God has more in mind for his people and God has more in mind for me and God is calling us to more. So we've been working through this great book of Ephesians. Ephesians, and we're going to be reading in chapter 4, beginning in verse 17 today, through uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Sounds like more than it is, so just relax. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Wow. Do you hear the urgency or the passion of Paul as he's talking to these followers of Jesus that God is calling them to more? That, that, that there's more in mind 
for, for the people of God than just to live like everyone else? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a shame that it seems that the church in many places lives the same as the people in their community. And, and this isn't just a call to a separate way of living where you, you, know, you dress differently, you act differently. It's, it's not about just, okay, we're, we're going to eliminate certain activities and you know, we're going to have this personal piety, but it's a way of living in generosity and mercy and love and forgiveness and grace in your community. That, that God is calling us to more. You know, two weeks ago we began this series in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Can, can we say this again together? Is it up there? Read this with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's God's promise to you. That, that God is calling you to more. That, that he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I believe this passage that we just read in 4.17 through 5.2 reflects this more. This, this ideal that God is calling us to live differently. And can we replace the word Gentiles? Because maybe we're not tracking with that with the people that aren't following God. That, that as followers of God, as people who are pursuing God, there is a higher expectation for us than everyone else. I'm learning stuff working out in the world. I am. I'm telling you, I'm learning stuff. And what I'm learning is this. And I've talked about this before. How bad people's attitudes are in work. You can't be justified in having a bad attitude and, 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 and being grumpy at work because everyone else is. Right? Just because your boss is a dingbat doesn't mean you can be a jerk. Is that real enough? And what I've seen in the workplace, for the most part, is you can't tell the Christians from the non-Christians. And I think what God's calling us to be is different, is <laughs> unique. That, that when people, and see that's your most public thing, right? In, in your neighborhood and in your work, that's the most public thing you do. You, you're, you're with the world, that's, that's your missionary field. And, and I believe what God's calling us to be is that we are so unique in the world that people can tell there's something different about us Amen. without us saying a word. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not. And you guys say, amen, yeah? I, I've got a lot of failures, a lot of things I'm working through. But can I tell you that at FedEx, I don't have to tell my pastor for people to recognize that I do things a little bit differently. 
don't know if I share this. I had a lady come up to me the other day, and, and she said, you don't have to be here, do you? Said, no, not, not really. She goes, you know, because when things go wrong, you're just so cool about everything. You never get upset. You, you never seem like you're out of sorts. It's just like, that was the best thing she could say to me. See, see we're, we're to be different where we find ourselves. God wants us, God wants to change the way we think. In this passage, it talks about our mind. And God wants His people to see things and have a different way of viewing the world than everyone else. I, I think this is this ideal of moving past meism. That, that as the people of God, it's not all about me and what I can get. God, God wants us to put on a new self. Look at your neighbor and tell him, God wants you to put a new self. Now, don't do that. We don't want to have any fights. He wants to reverse that damage that was done in the garden. That, 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 that original sin that, that began to direct our minds away from God and towards ourself. God wants us to be renewed in ourself. He wants us to be like Him. <laughs> and you say, well, Pastor, these are just your points. No. This is what the Scripture says. Amen. I, and I, You know, th this isn't the doctrine of Paul. If it was the doctrine of Paul, I'd probably make it a lot lower. Because it'd be a lot easier on my conscience at times, Right? But God calls us to this high standard. He, he wants us to be like Him in true righteousness and holiness. God doesn't want you going through the motions spiritually. God doesn't want you faking your way through. God doesn't want any false pretense. Doesn't, don't want a mask that hides something that's, that's deeper and realer. But he wants you to be really righteous, really in right relationship with him, and really in right relationship with others, really living right towards others and living right towards him. He, he wants you to be really holy. He really, God's desire is for you to really be set apart uniquely for Him and His calling. These are high standards, folks. It's, it's more, it's more than sometimes we accept. God wants us to love like Jesus. He wants us to look at Jesus. <laughs> and when I look at Jesus, it's kind of scary, right? Anybody else? You know, the, the way Jesus loved, and he loved his father and was obedient to his father, and being loving his father and being obedient to the father, he loved others and showed the love of God. 
To, to the point that Jesus was willing to die on a cross? Boy, isn't that the ultimate escape from meism? It's not about me or my plan, but it's about the Father and His plan. And in doing this, He showed love like no one else has shown love. Here's the point. Radical transformation is for everyone, not a select few. And it happens in the church. It's not, okay, let's have a few saints and then the rest of smucks. Can I say smucks in the church? I said it already, so I guess I can. I guess drunk. There's the holy ones and there's me. See, you are the holy ones. You are the saints. And when the Bible refers to the people of God, when it refers to the church, it's not pastors and laity. It's called ones helping you live the life of the holy ones. That I'm like, and I got to tell you, I've been wrestling with this for about a year because I believe most churches are so pastor-focused and pastor-dependent that they're missing the whole glory of what God's trying to do because God doesn't want to activate me. He wants to activate you. And allow me to be a battery, an encourager that allows the full force of the saints and the holy ones in this church to be activated in this community. I believe he used 120 in an upper room to turn Jerusalem upside down and eventually the Roman Empire. And we wonder why the church in America has become so powerless. I think it's become powerless because we think it all depends on these moments, this pastor, this sermon, the songs that we sing, that that's what church is about, but it's not. It's about God using you in unbelievable ways in Marysville and in Union County through the week. God's greatest desire for you is not simply that you make it into heaven. <laughs> it's great to make it into heaven, right? We all want to make it to heaven, right? Everybody say, okay, okay. But he wants it to begin here where you find yourself truly seeking his will with your entire being. That is what you want. You know, the, the, the thing about growing up in the church is I really feel like I've been seeking God my whole life. I can't think of a time in my life where this ideal of God and his call to me and my desire to try to please him. Man, I, I really messed up from time to time. 
Still do. But, but I can't recall a time in my life where I wasn't seeking him. Or at least hiding from him, knowing he was seeking me. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? And, and I can think of these spiritual, significant spiritual moments. We had um, uh, Bob Benson's son. I can't think of his name. just left me. Mike. For revival, the first, first year I was here. I can remember Bob Benson at Mid-America using the illustration of a nut. <laughs> I know it's, he's talking about me. You know, I'm the nut. Um, you know, an acorn knows what it's meant to be. And I can remember, you know, struggling with what God was calling me to do and where I felt I needed to be and, and this ideal of going into the law or, or you know, I think most, most people, most kids that grow up in the church struggle with this ideal of whether they're called to be a pastor, right? I think that's kind of normal. And, 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 you know, this ideal of being an acorn and knowing from the inside, and, and that kind of settled that for a while with me. And, and, and to be honest, I, I, I never regret anything, that any path God's allowed me to go on and been with me because I think it's kind of shaped me to who I am. And he's used it. I can remember Scott Spencer, Dorian, uh, best man at my wedding, uh, best friend I've ever had. Spencer's named after Scott. And, and he died eight weeks after Dylan was born. And I can remember flying out to Kansas City. Scott had three little kids, all under five. And can, can I be honest enough to tell you that I had some words with God about that? I struggled with that. As I saw those little ones and heard his 30-year-old widow sobbing and grieving in that church, and it took me a long time to get over that. Anybody ever been through anything like that? I mean, it's still. I, I can't. <laughs> Scott was one of those guys that would tell you he always had an answer to everything. And if you, if, you said, if you wanted to argue with Scott, all you had to say is, oh, you're always right, Scott. And it'd be the biggest argument in the world. And, and Scott said one time that when they vacuum in the White House, they put the triangles in the carpet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can leave the triangles. And so every time I vacuum, I think of Scott Spencer. <laughs> it got a laugh because we had a big argument about that. I remember being drawn into Tri-County. And, and the genius of Dan, what was he? He would, he would call you to serve in ways you weren't ready, and in serving you were made ready. If you're struggling and I'm just not ready, can I tell you, sometimes it's in the serving. <laughs> sometimes you have to get your feet wet in the Jordan River before God parts it. And sometimes it's in the serving that God does his greatest work, even if we're not ready. Dan put me in all sorts of circumstances and 
you know, he had me teach a teen class in October of 98, and I heard what the kids were going through in October of 98. I can't imagine what it is now. And it broke my heart. And, and I spent the day going around praying. And as real as I, I'm standing here today, I can remember the moment in my Toyota Tercel. Praying, God, I, you know, I was thinking about my boys. God, I can't do this. And he said, you're right. You can't, but I can. And so in that moment, I said, okay, God, it's all yours. And in my life, there was a switch. It changed with I was no longer focused on trying to get by and still get what I wanted. You know, it was never, it was was more about, okay, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And it became, what can I do to please God? Augustine talks about our natural propensity is to live towards ourself. That that's... That's the nature of humanity is that that we live inwardly and we're drawn inwardly and it's all about me. But God truly wants to change us so that we live out towards God and others. And I believe that's the change. That's, That's how I would define the change in my life in October of 1998. My life verse, and I use it often, I'll use it again today. It's, it's my life verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What's God call? He says, give me everything. <laughs> and what's God do? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. My part was pretty simple. God, it's yours. His part was transformation. And he changed the way I think. Can I tell you, this was not my last spiritual crisis. God still convicts me. I still make mistakes, and sometimes I, I, I call it sin, and I have to ask for forgiveness. I have to confess. Pastor Bob Flint preached our revival, and on Sunday night he talked about on Sunday never saying anything negative. Anybody, was anybody here Sunday night he talked about that? It was awesome. And I, I was sitting about right here, and he was talking about that, making that a pattern, that on the, on the Sabbath or on Sunday, I'll never say anything negative about anybody. That is a good thing. And we're going to eat at, um, at, at uh, Frisch's, and I pull out of the parking lot, and I get on 33, and I broke that thing right away trying to merge on the highway. Somebody wouldn't let me over. I'm going, well, that dingbat, why won't he? You know, I wasn't blowing my horn or cussing or, you know, giving him the number one sign with my middle finger or anything. But I was wrong. And I was falling short of the glory of God. And in the past, 
I think I'd have tried to justify that, right? Well, people just can't drive, and people just can't drive. Or I'm just human. But I think the change in my life is this, that when God pointed it out, my turn's not inward but outward, and I want to please him. And that's what matters. See, I don't want, you, I don't want to give some false hope that, 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 that somehow you can have a crisis moment and there's never any more struggles, there's never any more confession. As a matter of fact, I would say this, a theology that eliminates confession is a bad theology. It's a bad theology. And it leads to pride. And it leads to dryness. And eventually, it leads to spiritual death. And so I got to tell you, I never want to get to a point where I'm afraid to tell you that I have to tell God I'm sorry every once in a while because I just messed up my desire. The truest desire in my inner being is to make my God happy, to please him. I don't think I'm special. I don't. I think this is for all of us. I think God's calling us all to this place. I don't think this is about age. I don't think you have to get to like 40 years old or 80 years old. I don't think you have to be 13. I don't think you can... Should I share this? Yeah. We were at a Thursday night discipleship thing, and um, uh, Daryl Blank, the pastor at Springdale, spoke. It was on the district. And, and he, gave me, he gave a stat I'd never heard before. The longer someone's in a church, the less likely they are to become an authentic follower of Christ if they don't do it earlier. In other words, it's possible to culturally acclimate to this place without making the full commitment. And you look like everyone else, and you act like everything else, and you use all the right language, but inside, you know something's wrong. So my invitation is not for young or old, it's for anybody. Maybe you've been here a long time and you've just really never said yes. Whatever you want. You ever hear of Bill and Yvonne Bright? Bill and Yvonne Bright were the founders of Youth for Christ. Uh, the Jesus film is Bill Bright. Uh, you know, when we talk about evangelism, we always talk about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham was awesome. Bill Bright has led more people through his ministries to Jesus Christ than anyone in history. It's not even close. 
When you consider the ramifications of the Jesus film, Bill Bright is the greatest soul winner based on his organizations than anyone in history. Probably more than any church. When Bill Bright and Yvonne Bright were younger, they were struggling with what to do with God. They were followers, but they were struggling with what God wanted to do. And they took out a piece of paper and they signed the bottom of it. It was a blank contract. God, you fill it in. Some of you this morning, you need to just sign that blank contract. And the truth is, God will give you more than you ever receive and holding your life back. Radical transformation is for everyone, not a select few. It happens in the church. See, my journey would not have been possible without the church. I couldn't, you, you can't do this stuff on your own. I needed others. And the key phrase is probably authenticity. As a matter of fact, I know it's authenticity. <laughs> and the question is, am I honest with myself, with God, and at least one other person? You know, this isn't an invitation. This isn't a, a suggestion that you need to bear your soul to everyone in this congregation. I love you all. I don't trust you all enough to bear my soul to every one of you, okay? Are you okay with that? Because I don't expect you to do that either. That there should be at least one person in this place that you know good enough to say, I really screwed up this week. I've not been pure in my thoughts. I, I've not been true with my giving. I, I, I've not been serving. I've had a terrible attitude. I told off somebody in this church that you can be authentic with. You know, the Bible says, God says through the Word, if you can't love people who you see, how in the world do you think you're going to love the God that you can't see? And I don't know that this is true or not, but, but I kind of think it may be. If we can't be authentic with anyone else, can we truly be authentic with God? Or do we just get so used to wearing a mask that we just fake our way through. And the practice is confession. You know, it's the importance, as we're talking about this one person, it's the importance of small groups and Sunday school classes. You, you, you know, you, you're sitting with people, but, but your focus is here on Sunday morning. Sunday school classes and small groups are where you build those relationships. It's not, it's, confession doesn't always happen in a Sunday school class or a small group, but you build those lifelong relationships where you begin to trust the other person. You know, we're going to anyway have a, a, a work and witness opportunity in July. And, and I thought, uh, I, I wish I could convey to you the experiences I've had on mission trips. I have had mind-blowing, awesome experiences that, that, that I think about often on work and witness trips. But by far, I have received more than I've ever given on a work and witness trip. 
and we have another one coming in July. And, and I, I think the cost is going to be under $1,500 to go to Costa Rica. Let me tell you what, $1,500 for that experience, it's worth many times that what it will mean to you because you'll not only will you be able to serve and God will bless you in your serving and you'll be in a different place and that's all you know all those things are neat but you'll have relationships and build relationships that'll be lifelong is there someone here you can be real with You ever have a person share too quick? You, you, ever, you ever have, you know, every once in a while have a, a waiter or a waitress that, you know, you're just wanting to give your order and you get their life story and like, <laughs> anybody ever have that person? So you need to build the relationships. There, there needs to be space for this. So our ministry emphasis, our growing ministry, uh, on the back wall, you can still see our kids' stuff is up there and all in still up there. And there's one more um, column that you can look through. It's on small groups. And maybe, maybe you want to be part of a small group. Uh, maybe you want to be part of a Sunday school class. Uh, maybe you want more information. You can fill that card out and drop it in the offering uh, boxes in the back wall. You can see me. Uh, there, there's two more Sunday school classes and, or small groups. There's a, a Sunday school class time and a small group time on Sunday night that will be forming pretty quick if you're interested in any of those things. We will find you a place. It's the purpose of the family table. If you weren't here for family table, you missed it. It was an awesome time. And, you know, I was so, it lifted my heart to see people just moving from table to table. So we're going to have another one at the end of the month, and we're going to play bingo. That's right. And I think we're even going to have prizes. If, if, that's not, if it's not enough just to have food and be with people, and we ask you to bring chili, okay? You guys look so excited about it. You don't want to miss it. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. Because uh, relationships are being formed. You, you, you're seeing people renewing relationships. And, and if you don't participate, you're going to be left behind. And you're going to have to catch up with us in about six months. You want to participate. You know, I don't have, and I think I probably should. I really don't have in my notes a draw here. But I have a, my spider sense, my pastor spent sense. That was a joke. If you don't get that Spider-Man, but just we'll let that go, okay? My pastor sense is tingling. That there's at least a few of you that what I've talked about has hit. And you need to respond. Yes, it's not that you're a bad person. It's, it's, it's not that you, it's not like you're beating your kids or your wife or stealing from the church or stealing from the bank. But you just know that it's more about you than about him. And you need to get that settled. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. Um, if that's you today, 
and God's speaking, can you be real enough just to come forward? We're just going to wait. No music. We're just going to wait for a few seconds, and then Pastor Bob's going to come and close us. Come now if you, if you feel that, if God's calling you.
team. Thank you, Kristen, for filling in for, for Amy and Chris as they're gone today. We appreciate that. Don't you appreciate their willingness to step in and fill in? Yeah, give them a hand this morning. I've been um, shaped by the church. Uh, when I consider who I am and, and, uh, and, and, and the way I view life, the, the church has had such a huge impact on who I am. Uh, you know, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, we asked you to raise your hand if you've always been in church. And I was one of those that raised my hand. I've always been in church. It's always been part of my life. And my earliest memories are church. And, uh, you know, being in church and being a part and parents serving and doing different things. And I think about those churches I've been part of, Rushville Church of the Nazarene. And I can remember Debbie Cooper, my first teacher. I can remember my first grade Sunday school teacher, but I can't remember my first grade school teacher. <laughs> that an amazing thing. But I can remember Debbie Cooper and her love for me. And I can remember Gortner Church of the Nazarene and, and uh, Leroy Banks. I've talked about Leroy and Max uh, Kinder and Henry Ott and Rosie McKinney, all these people who were investing in us and teaching us. And I, I remember St. Paul's Church of the Nazarene where I was a teenager in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, St. Paul's, the, the pastor's name was Brother Borgeson. I think Brother was his first name. And uh, uh, Brother Borgeson was an awesome guy, built the church and uh, was just a builder of the church, just loved the church, just all that he did uh, for, for me. And I can, I can still see him preaching. I don't know. I can't remember too many of his messages, I'll be honest. And that always kind of scares me as a pastor because I realize probably you'll, you'll remember more of our interactions than the sermons that I preach. And that's just, that's life. I understand that. Uh, my youth pastor was Alan Thompson. And Alan lives in Tennessee. I still see and hear from Alan every once in a while. And uh, you know, all these other people, except for Debbie Cooper, are gone, but, but, but they influenced me. They, they invested in my life. And then I was at Vandalia Church in the Nazarene when, when I was in law school. My brother, Virgil, was my pastor. Great pastor, great guy. He loved being with Virgil, invested in me, and, and loved me, and let me watch his kids when they did things fun. And uh, that was a joke. Uh, you know, it's good to have family in church. They become free babysitters. And, uh, and then Ruth Stevens... And uh, I was asking Art and Karen if they remember Ruth. Ruth was a Sunday school teacher, tender-hearted lady, good lady. And he come come from a, a pretty hard life, and had gotten saved. Her and Ralph, and had been through a lot of obstacles. And she spoke through the the strength and the wisdom of overcoming them things as a Sunday school teacher. And then Tri County, Terry and I was at Tri County, and Pastor Dan and Darlene they invested in us and loved us. And, uh, and you know, I learned a lot from Pastor Dan about vision, about caring for a church, about caring for people. And I think of Ron Lewis and some of those names are familiar to Josh. And Josh's Uncle Bob was my Sunday school teacher and, and really a strong connection with Bob. Loved Bob. Matter of fact, I saw Bob at um, the Nazarene National Softball Tournament, uh, our holy gathering in Springdale. And, 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 and Bob... Bob said, I can, and he always says this to me, I can still remember that first time you walked into my Sunday school class. And I remember Bob was just so influential in me. And all, all these folks, as I've listed them, and I could list more, all these folks taught me that there was something greater than myself. That, that I didn't just come up with this, but, you know, through family and friends and people in the church, I became aware 
that God was calling me to more. And, 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 and with these folks, there was always this invitation to more. Not that they didn't accept me or love me just as I was, but, but they could see in me and they could see in God that there was more in mind for me than what I was settling for. See, God is calling us to more. And this book of Ephesians, Paul is desperately wanting the church to see who the church could be. He's wanting the church to see that God is calling them to more. And I, and I truly believe, folks, he's calling our church to more. He's calling me to more. and He's calling you to more. So in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, this is Paul writing to the church. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Wow. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's one of those scriptures that's a wow. And, and Paul in Ephesians is trying to see the, get the church to see the beauty and the significance of what God was trying to do in their midst. Ordinary people that, that God is calling to this high calling, this high standard. Two weeks ago, we began this series in Ephesians 3, 20-21. We repeated it again together. Let's, let's, let's repeat this passage together again. Is it up there? Yeah. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do more than we can even begin to imagine. And I believe God is able to do more for us in the way we live our lives, far more than we begin to imagine. 
And I believe that passage reflects, is reflected in 4.17, 5 through 5.2. Now, now in 4.17, 5 through 2, it's, it, 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 it asks us to do several things. It says, God, God wants to change the way we think. He wants to move us past meism. He wants us to move past bitterness and anger and jealousy and envy. You realize bitterness and anger never leads to fulfillment in your life, right? <laughs> Why do we cling to those attitudes so often? We'll cling to a grudge, and we'll, we'll, we'll cling to bitterness. We'll, we'll cling to anger. And, and you, know, I, you know, you don't need a pastor to tell you this, that holding on to those things does nothing but hurt us. And, and God's calling us to change the way we think, the way we perceive life. And, and, and the phrase is Gentiles, and, and that may be a foreign phrase to us. You know, we, we're, we're all Gentiles that have been grafted into the vine. It's, it's not about being born Jewish or not born Jewish. It's about whether you're going to be a follower of Jesus or not. And Paul's saying, listen, there's these people out there that they don't want to be God followers and it's all about them in their own way and they cling to their grudges and they cling to their, to their stubborn ways and they cling to their possessions. But he wants you to see things in a different way. He wants to change the way you think. God wants us to put on a new self. And when he talks about this new self, I, I truly believe in, in my theological perspective of this, that this new self is not a different self, but it's the old self that Adam and Eve marred. That, that in the garden, when Adam and Eve said, we want our way more than God's way, it created this infection that we all have, that, that we want things our way, and we want things done the way we want them, and we want to be the beneficiary. And, and, and Paul's saying, God wants to remove that selfish nature and begin to create within you this new self, this new heart, this new perspective. God wants us to be like Him in true righteousness and holiness. God doesn't want you to go through the motions of fake spirituality. He wants to be real. Terry and I was at a discipleship conference Thursday night, and Daryl Blank, who's the pastor at Cincinnati Springdale, was, was preaching or speaking, and he gave what to me was a startling statistic. And the, the statistic was this, that the longer someone is in church, before they accept Jesus as the Savior, their Savior, and begin to really follow Him, the more likely they're, just to they're going to continue in church and never make that commitment. In other words, the longer someone's in church, if they don't early on commit to Jesus, they just begin to go through the motions. And I think what happens is you can be culturally Christian, right? Right? We, we can practice what I've heard referred to as churchianity. 
We're, we're, we're in a culture you can begin to look like those around us, but there's nothing on the inside. And the truth is, probably this pastor would never be able to tell that. I wouldn't know that. Because you do all the right things, but the problem is you know it. You know it. You know when you're just going through the motions, when there's really nothing inside. And Paul's saying, our God wants us to be like him in true righteousness. To, to be living in a right relationship with Him and a right relationship with others, to be doing the right things towards others and towards Him, not as a manner of show, but because He has changed us from the inside out. True holiness. That, that God wants to separate us, truly separate us for His use. God wants us to love like Jesus. It's a high standard, right? And before you push back too much, I, I, I don't believe, I, I think I'm just reading these points are just scriptural points. This is just what Paul's saying. This isn't what Pastor Paul's saying, okay? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying through God's Word, that, that God's intention, God's desire for you is to call you to true righteousness, to real holiness, Radical transformation is for everyone, not a select few, and it happens in the church. You know, as I began this series, that the passage that that really um, that really drew me to Ephesians was in a, was Ephesians four, and where Paul talks about the saints. And, and, and the reaction was this use of the word clergy and laity. It, it really, for some reason, it rubs me wrong because for some reason, and maybe it's just me, but I don't think it's just me. There's this ideal, there's this holy group of people named the clergy, and then there's just everybody else. But that's not a biblical understanding. See, the biblical understanding is that I'm called and I have a purpose, but you are the saints and you are the holy ones. And I truly believe that in our culture, the American church is powerless because you depend too much on me and the ministry of the church when God is calling you to seize your calling and your mission. There were only 120 people in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit fell, and they turned Jerusalem upside down, and eventually they turned a kingdom upside down. They just kept, they just kept going because they understood that the mission was not the mission of Peter or John. The mission was their mission, everyone's. And so I just would wonder what would happen if we would truly all of us embrace that ideal of being holy ones and saints set apart for God. See, God's greatest desire for you is not simply that you squeak your way into heaven. <laughs> That's good. Heaven's good, right? We like heaven. Amen, right? But God's desire for you is that you find yourself truly seeking his will with your entire being that you are bent towards him. 
You know, I think about my life, and, and, and here's the thing about being in the church. If you're in the church your entire life, it's possible to really just begin going through the motions, right? Somebody say, man, just, just because you think your neighbor's doing that, okay? I, that's the truth, because it's all you know, and, and you, you've never had to make some radical decision for Jesus. It's just like that's where your mom took you when you were little, and so you just keep going, right? What else would you do on Sunday morning? Football's not on until 1. <laughs> and in my life, I have to say, in my life, for, for most of my life, I've been seeking God, or at least hiding and aware of the God from the God that's seeking me. You know, there's always been awareness of, of God. Even in my, and I've had some low moments, right? You understand that? That your, your pastor doesn't stand up before you as somebody that's every, gotten it right all the time. I've, I've sinned. I've done some really wrong things that God has had to forgive me for. Not happy about it, but it's the reality. That as I stand before you, I stand before you as a seeker of God. For, from as early as I can remember, I've been seeking Him. And sometimes, oh, seems so easy and clear. And sometimes, even now, it's like, well, what's next, God? I can remember the moments in my life. I can remember Bob Benson. Mike Benson's dad at Mid-America. And he did a revival for us. And, and, and he let me know that I was just a nut. Let me, let me finish the illustration. He gave the illustration of the acorn. Uh, you ever hear that illustration? The acorn knows. You know, it, you, don't, you don't have to convince an acorn. And so I was struggling with what God was calling me to do, whether I was supposed to be a lawyer or what I was supposed to be. And, 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 and it kind of settled that question for a while. Of, you know, okay, I, I feel this. I, you know, I feel drawn to this. And and it settled it for a while. I can remember my friend dying. Scott Spencer. Spencer's named after Scott. And he died two weeks after Dylan was born. I guess it's longer than that, maybe two months. And he had three little ones under five. And I can remember being at the funeral and hearing a grieving widow of about 30 sobbing and moaning and trying to figure out what's next. And can I be honest enough to tell you, I was pretty mad at God. Anybody ever been there? I had some pretty serious questions. I didn't walk away. But I got to tell you, that was a struggle for me. To find faith and still trust him in the midst of that. We were kind of drawn into Tri-County. We were at Springdale and we got married and Dr. Green was the pastor. Loved Dr. Green. His wife was our Sunday school teacher, great Sunday school teacher, really loved the church. And, and then Dr. Green left, and, and actually David Graves became pastor there. I've known David since I've been a teenager 
that before David came to be the pastor, we tried Westchester, where my, my brother's brother-in-law was the pastor, and then we ended up at Tri-County. I don't know how in the world we ended up at Tri-County, Josh. You know, they're a bluegrass church. They're as, they're, as, they're as Kentucky and West Virginia as Appalachian as you can get in Cincinnati, Ohio. Am I wrong? Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if, if, but we were drawn in. And the genius of Dan, I, I said this last week, one of the things Dan did that I thought was extremely powerful is when somebody began to explore their, their walk with Christ, he would put them in ministry, even if they weren't ready. And what you would find is the ministry would make you ready. And he did that with me, put me in different places, and that's teaching teens. Josh, you may have been in that group. Were you a teen in 1998? Yes? <laughs> I'm trying to think, how old are you, Josh? 34, so. So you were in that youth group. He put me in a youth group and let me start teaching kids. And I got to tell you, I was overwhelmed. Not, not by teaching the kids, but the prayer request. The, the, the things that kids faced in 1998 was far beyond what I faced earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like now. And I had two young boys. And I can remember driving around the next day asking God how, you know, I was weeping and praying and seeking him because I didn't know what I would do. And I can remember praying, God, I can't do this. And he said, you're right, but I can. And there was a change. I was no longer focused on just trying to get by and still get what I wanted. But I really wanted to do God's will. Not seek, sought him all those years, but there was a change in what was important. Augustine, Augustine talks about our natural propensity is to live towards ourselves, that there's this inward bend towards ourselves, towards selfishness, towards our own desires. I believe God truly wants to change that. God wants us to be changed so that we live out towards God and others. And I believe that is the change that occurred in me in October of 1998. Now, I find this reflected in my life verse. I use it often. I hope you don't get sick of it, but I love it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's our part. Give God everything. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's God's part. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, that wasn't my last crisis. You realize that? That, that your pastor still has opportunities to tell God he's sorry God still convicts me when I mess up. Bob Flint spoke 
Uh, it's been about, a, not quite a month, three weeks ago. And, and on the Sunday night, Bob spoke about um, how on Sundays, was it him or somebody else, that they just made this habit of, of just be saying positive things in their home and nothing negative. That, that Sunday was positive-only zone, and, and, and people would come to their house and just enjoyed being around their house because of positivity. And I thought, man, that is so awesome. I'm going to do that. Sunday's a positive-only day. So we decided to eat at Frisch's, and I pulled out of the church parking lot and tried to merge onto 33, and some dingbat wouldn't let me merge in. You know, I could justify that. I could say, oh, everybody's bad drivers because everybody is bad drivers, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to go to hell. I didn't honk my horn. I didn't yell. I didn't give any kind of salute with my hand. <laughs> I could have justified it. But the solution was saying, God, I'm sorry. In this moment, I have fallen short of your glory. That's not what you have in mind for me. Now, you talk to my wife. There's other times I fall short of God's glory, right, Terry? You don't have to lie and say I never do, yeah. <laughs> so there's still times of confession in my life. I'm still a work in progress. I have struggles just like you. <laughs> that sometimes God calls me to do something and it's like, ah, I don't want to do that. Anybody else like that every once in a while? That's hard. <laughs> you know, because God sometimes calls us to big, bold, hard things. And I got to tell you, if Jesus can sweat blood in the garden, finding himself in submission to God's will, then who do we think we are that will always just say yes with no struggle? It's not always easy. Keep struggling. Don't let go. But I do believe this. I believe my natural bent has been changed towards him. What pleasing. Can we go back to an earlier point? Radical transformations for everyone. Not a select few. It happens in the church. This isn't just for pastors and Sunday school teachers and church board members. This is for the holy ones, the saints, those called by God to this higher calling. You know, my, my journey would have been impossible without a church. I'm just telling you, you know, pe people that, <laughs> that say, oh, well, you don't need the church. I don't know what they're seeing in this world because I need the church. It's impossible without friends and family praying for you and holding you accountable and walking with you. The key phrase for today is authenticity. And, and, and the question is, am I honest with myself, with God, and at least one other person? I don't know if you remember, last week we talked about this being a place where we can bring our big questions this is kind of the opposite side of that. If this is a place where we can truly bring our big questions and nobody's going to look down on us and people are going to love us regardless, then this comes, becomes a place where 
authenticity is demanded. We were talking in our sermon prep group about um, oh, Steve Jobs. And the story of Steve Jobs is when he was a teenager, he went to his pastor because he was troubled with the condition of the world. If God is good, why is there so much evil? And the pastor kind of blew him off. He didn't want to deal with those deep questions. And Steve Jobs just kind of decided, well, the church isn't real. See, this has to be a place where we ask hard questions. Where we reveal our struggles and where it's safe to be authentic and real. You know, this isn't tell everyone everything. <laughs> At Vandalia, you guys may not have been there, but I remember there was a Sunday night when one guy got up and started confessing all the women that he was looking at in the church in an inappropriate way. That was an awkward Sunday night service. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> But are you close to someone? Have you made a relationship, a connection close enough that you can be authentic and vulnerable with someone? Man, I'm preaching to us, okay? Women are good at this. You know, women just like, and I know I'm speaking in generalities, there will always be some woman, well, I'm not like that. But most women are good about being authentic and real with each other. Men, I tell you what, if we can get past the sports and the weather, we're doing good. <laughs> Is there one person? And as I thought about this, you know, we're trying to do practices, and I think the practice is confession. I got to tell you, a theology without a healthy dose, dose of confession is dangerous. Because confession keeps us from becoming spiritually proud and eventually spiritually dead. It's the importance of small groups and Sunday school classes. You know, th- th- this is, I like this, this part of church. You know, I. I get to stand up and deliver a sermon and, you know, we get to be together and we worship. But that connection happens in the small group where you get to know people. It's the importance of things like work and witness trips. You know, a work and witness opportunity coming up in July of next year. And, and, I, and I've thought about how do I share this. Terry and I have had some unbelievable experiences on work and witness trips. That the same year I climbed Kilimanjaro, I climbed a live volcano with my three boys in Guatemala. <laughs> Give me that experience every time over stinking Gua- whatever it was, Kilimanjaro by myself, right? But not only that, you build relationships. I think the cost is going to be like $1,500. You, you can't beat that. You, 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 can't, you can't do anything. And, and, you're, and the price that you pay, the money that you pay, will be, will be well worth it. And you'll be with people and you'll build connections. So see me if you have any interest. We're, we're starting to take some money now. And, and it's time to be serious about it. I'm telling you, if you want to build relationships, if you want to do something that God will bless you more than you'll give out, do a mission trip. But the question for today is this. Is there someone here you can be real with?
Yeah, this just doesn't happen in a day. This is real work, and it's hard. It takes times, and it takes steps. So our ministries are growing ministry, and in the back wall, you can see we still have the all-in, and we have places for you to take cards for our kids, and there's places to take cards for our, our Sunday school classes or our small groups. We have a couple small groups and Sunday school classes that will be starting, and we can give you details on that. Uh, one will be a Sunday morning, one will be a Sunday night, it looks like. Uh, if you're interested in leading a, a Sunday school or a, a discipleship group or a small group, see me, we can plug you in. You know, we, we want everyone in this place to be connected somehow to a group where you can be loved and you can be real. And so take a card, drop it in the box, see me, and, and we'll give you opportunity. But as I, as I did my notes for this sermon, I really I didn't put a draw. I don't know why. Uh, this is a draw kind of sermon. Because the truth is that when I've talked about some of these things, some of you identify with what I've said. <laughs> that you say, Pastor, I've been in the church so long that I know what to say and what to do, but it doesn't feel real. You ever hear of Bill Bright? Anybody know who Bill Bright is? Bill and Yvonne Bright formed Campus Crusade, and um, I think they did the Jesus film, came through Campus Crusade. Bill Bright, you know, when we talk about evangelists in the 20th century, we talk about Billy Graham, right? You know, Billy Graham. Billy Graham led a fraction to the people, to the Lord, that Bill Bright. Bill Bright is by far the greatest soul winner of any generation. Bill Bright set into place ministries where literally thousands upon thousands of people have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Bill Bright is, and you know, read any of your stuff, Bill Bright's unbelievable. He's dead now. But Bill Bright, when him and his wife, I think I'm saying that right, Yvonne was, was younger, they were struggling with God's call in their life. And they took a piece of paper a blank piece of paper and sign their names. Blank contract. God, do whatever you want. And God did immeasurably more than they could even begin to imagine. Some of you in this room, that's where you're at. It's time to sign the contract. It's time to let it go. It's time just to say, God, whatever you want to do. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. I want to give you space. Our altars are available for that. If you'd like to come, I'd encourage you to come quickly.